This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We are so close to a midterm election. That's why you're tuning in. Also, you know we have the best news and the best guests, Carly Shimkus, this hour. Uh, we're also got to urge you to get the podcast if you can't listen live or listen twice. Uh, we have a lot to discuss because the president is not really being asked to go many places, but the former president, Barack Obama, is. We even saw Bill Clinton out and about, uh, and we'll discuss it. I could not believe this. Don Bulldog a man that Chuck Schumer financed to make sure he got the nomination because the Democrats thought he was so beatable. Mitch McConnell pulled funding because he was critical of Mitch McConnell. Donald Trump didn't endorse until Monday. That's the last minute. And he is ahead, if not in a flat-footed tie, with Maggie Hassan. I believe he was outspent $33 million to 300000 No joke. That is a general fought in wars. And just hopped in his car, drove around, won the nomination, did a ton of town halls, and now is winning over New Hampshire. I'm not sure if he's going to get it all, but man, you talk about independence. He would owe every he would owe people absolutely nothing. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three. The border shows up against you know they're not only up against these cartels, they're up against their own administration, their own secretary. The secretary has no respect for the men and women of Border Patrol, and that's exactly what he deserves. Tom Homan weighing in. The broken border. That's what the Dems want our nation to ignore as New York finally uses its tent city. The cots, the flat screens, the free food. Now they're going to warehouse illegals as overwhelmed border agents get set to turn in their badges. Number two. If I'm a liberal Democrat, I would say, Joe, please stop helping. That's the way to sum up that ridiculous speech last night. Former, We're going to have the final state-by-state polls and trends five days from the midterm elections as Sarah gets fan out and former president's lash out. And the word is this president should stay out. Number one. You know, American democracy is under attack because the defeated former president of the United States refuses to accept the results of the 2020 election. Is that a cut from a statement two years ago? No, how about 24 hours ago? 12 make that. Insulting, abusive, and politically tone deaf. That's how I view the president's primetime address as he rants about January 6th, Trump, and Pelosi. This underlies the Democrats' biggest problems. They uh, underlines, I should say. They don't understand what really concerns Americans. Hey, what happened to Paul Pelosi is brutal. I get it. But what happens every single day in major cities across the country and some suburbs that we get on ring doorbell cameras is also bad. And he never brings that up. Paul Pelosi here with a hammer is horrendous. We still don't have a ton of questions. When you ask questions, you're being callous or cavalier. I, I don't know. Who opened the door? 
Was there a third person there? Why did the person let Paul Pelosi go to the bathroom? I'm glad he did. Why did he get in the elevator and get out of the elevator? Uh, Why, when the cops were there, did he get hit in the head? I mean, just answer some of the questions. That's all. But look, if Nancy Pelosi wasn't the speaker, maybe she he doesn't get attacked. But the person who did the attacking is a nudist, child abuser, living in a a cut-off, rusted-out old school bus who likes BLM, and flies pride flags everywhere. This guy is a time bomb. His family was afraid of him. This is not Donald Trump's fault. Cut one. The issue couldn't be clearer in my view. We, the people, must decide whether we'll have fair and free elections. And every vote counts. We, the people, must decide whether we're going to sustain a republic where reality is accepted, the law is obeyed, and your vote is truly sacred. So he goes into that and talks about the election. Okay, excuse me? Are you the Democratic Party that saw election deniers in the primary field and boosted them so they win? And now guess what? They're winning or close. Tudor Dixon didn't run on re-election. She was upset about some of the things that went on in the last election in Michigan. You have Carrie Lake. Yes, yeah, she's like, I don't like what went on in Arizona. Carrie Lake is winning. Uh, Tudor Dixon's within two points. Don Bolduc said, yeah, I got a huge problem with the election. Wasn't endorsed by Donald Trump until Monday. But he had a problem in New Hampshire. What's going on? Okay. He was boosted by Chuck Schumer. As I mentioned before, he was uh, had all his funding pulled by Mitch McConnell. And guess what? He's winning. But he's not running on that. What he's running on is conservative principles pushing back on what this administration is doing, which it's not even subtle. I mean, with one thing, and this is an analogy I use, Barack Obama lost 63 seats in the House and the Senate and some seats in the Senate, but almost the entire Senate if they had uh, better candidates because of Obamacare. But no one doubted that health care was an issue that needed to be addressed. Republicans, me, thought Obamacare was a bad idea. It was bad for doctors, bad for hospitals. He, a lot of things he said didn't, uh, didn't plan out. You can't keep your doctor. If you want to keep your doctor, you can't keep your plan if you want to keep your plan. But I never doubted that health care needed to be addressed. How was the difference? Now we have an administration led by a president, and you just heard him, who either they make up issues that Republicans are trying to get, take Social Security away and Medicare, or they come out and say January 6th, insurrection, Trump people are violent, and uh, the rhetoric's got to stop again. So Donald Trump's fault that people are attacked. Steve Scalise gets hit. They threaten uh, Justice Kavanaugh. No, let's, let's not bring that up. Uh, but if something happens with uh, – by the way, I think Don Bolduck was attacked yesterday, and he was stopped. Thankfully, he had a bunch of people around him, was able to push this guy back, did brush the side of him. You probably don't want to mess with a general, a wartime general, that spends years in the field in Iraq and Afghanistan. But that's just my opinion. So that's what they're running on. It's crazy. Cut three. I, it's hard to even say. It's hard to even say. After the assailant entered the home asking, where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? Those are the very same words used by the mob when they stormed the United States Capitol on January the 6th, when they broke windows, kicked in the doors, brutally attacked law enforcement. All right. So who wrote that speech? Liz Cheney? Number one, where's Nancy is not code for kill. 
Where's Nancy, as I said on TV, is what the FedEx guy says when he needs a signature. It's what his, wife, what his husband or, or husband might say if he wants to know where his wife is or where uh, Nancy is. Maybe the neighbor wants to borrow sugar. They might say, where's Nancy? It doesn't mean he wants to kill her. Where's Nancy is not an uncommon phrase used by insurrectionists. Number two is outside January 6th, which was horrendous, the Democrat, the Republicans were not known and Trump followers were not known for being aggressive. In fact, most of the time they were being beat up. That's the crazy thing. So what is the Democrats' message? Well, we know that the president's not a good speaker. We know he wrestles with the prompter. And we know nobody wants him to campaign with them. So he's bored and does a speech in prime time. So what are the other presidents doing, like Clinton and Obama? It's kind of interesting. What are they saying? I mean, what is their what is their go-to argument? Let's listen. Cut seven. American democracy is under attack because the defeated former president of the United States refuses to accept the results of the 2020 election. We, the people, must decide whether the rule of law will prevail whether we will allow the dark forces to thirst, that thirst for power, put ahead of the principles that we've long guided us. These days, it seems like just about every Republican politician seems obsessed with only two things. They want to own the libs, and the other thing they really want to do is get Donald Trump's approval. They're not interested in solving immigration. They're not interested in Solving crime? Because that way you may not notice that they've got no answers of their own. The Republicans are pretty simple, actually. They're and pretty straightforward. They say, I want you to be very miserable. And I want you to be very angry. And I vote I want you to vote for us and we'll make it worse, but we'll blame them. Uh, and go see see if that argument works. It is basic. I mean, it's a Donald Trump-type argument where black and white will make it simple. There's not a lot of subtlety. But own the libs is not something I've ever heard a Republican say. Own the libs. Both the border. Stop with a zero-cash bail. Identify that crime is an issue. Understand that spending leads to inflation. And understand that you pass two or three packages that are exceedingly, uh, uh, exceedingly generous to, with money we don't have, taxpayer dollars we don't have, and now we're in a situation where the only way to control inflation is by raising interest rates, which is destroying housing. These are all moves that they have made. And that is why enthusiasm for voting in the midterm elections, Republicans have six, uh, 84% characterize themselves as enthusiastic. Democrats, 68. Independents, 58. We'll see where that goes. Here's the biggest news. White suburban women that the President Trump evidently was losing because of his rhetoric, they say. 27% shift away from Democrats since August. Wow. So the Dobbs decision comes down and states decide what the series, what the situation is when it comes to inf- it comes to abortion. And still, here we are in November, and 27% of white suburban women say, I'm going with the Republicans. I'm moving, I'm moving from the Democrats. Pretty amazing. 74% think the economy is heading in the wrong direction. Why would you stay with this horse? And if I'm a Democrat, I try to explain my principles and how maybe success is coming. But you passed the Inflation Reduction Act, which was mislabeled as the Green Energy Act. You were trying to push us to green energy when you could drill us out of a recession. And people are going to harbor bitterness for that. For the other side, here's Kevin McCarthy. Cut eight. 
You also have to talk about what the president said tonight. He wasn't uniting us. The Democrats were dividing us as they moved forward. They just wanted to distract from the disasters they created. All those topics you brought up, I listened to the president's speech. I don't remember hearing anything about inflation, about gas, about border, about fentanyl, about crime, or not even the 98 individuals on the border who are on the terrorist watch list they have caught. What we're really finding in these next six days, this is a hinge election. This is, this is a defining election like a 1980 election. Which direction does America want to go? That's true. And they might want to hone that message or get on the same page. Look at what's resonating. Blake Masters, a pick of Donald Trump, is within one point of uh, Senator Kelly, who seems catatonic, uh, unable to uh, muster a message except for denying that Joe Biden's done a good job. If he was Kristen Cinema, he would have an argument saying, I've been pushing back against this administration and the attack on our institutions, like packing the court, the filibuster, and adding two states. But he's been invisible. I've been coming. I've been yelling about the border. No, he hasn't at all until now. Put on a jean shirt and went down there. It doesn't count. Hobbs against Lake. Katie Hobbs is the biggest disaster I can remember. She's basically handing over a race that she was supposed to win as attorney general to Carrie Lake, a news anchor who is probably the most talented politician I've seen come out in quite some time. She is now winning. It says by one. Other polls of late has her by six, seven and maybe even eight. So that's pretty special. Bullduck on the real clear average was within one point. Listen, one point might as well be 100 points. It doesn't matter. But he's so close within the margin of error, a wave will bring a lot of Republican votes. And lastly, Governor Zeldin in the governor's race for New York, the Emerson poll had it eight. Almost everybody else has percentage points Zeldin up or behind, which means it's a sprint to the finish. The best thing Zeldin has going for him is Kathy Hochul, who's clueless on what's going wrong in her New York. You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. When we come back, what Governor Cuomo said about this race and his party, the disgraced former governor, and then we'll take your calls, as I mentioned. Also, if you'd rather write me, briankilmeade.com. Just click on comments. It comes to me, and I'll go through it. You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I don't know why the Democrats, and this is nationwide, I don't know why they can't be more aggressive addressing the issue of crime. You can be a progressive, but you still understand that job one is public safety. And the truth is, 
Some people have to be put in jail to keep society safe. I know it sounds harsh Mm -hmm. and Democrats don't like to say it, but it's the truth. And until we start addressing crime aggressively and bluntly, uh, we're going to see this issue. I I appreciate Governor Cuomo's words with John Castamatidis from his roundtable. But he started zero cash bail. It came from the legislature. He did nothing to stop it, nothing to amend it, nothing to hone it. He did nothing to rein it in at all. And for him to sit on the sidelines as a commentator, he's absolutely right about Democrats. I mean, they do want to ignore crime and talk about January 6th and say, how could you think crime is bad and, and be part of a party that stormed the Capitol, which is a dumb argument because it doesn't keep anybody safe and doesn't get back, people back on the subways and on the buses. But Governor Cuomo makes a good point if he's a commentator. The problem is he has no credibility because he started this zero cash bail, which allows like the mom who's on the Keisha's mom who's on the cover of the New York Post. Well, it turns out this is a perfect example, sadly, of what's going on here. She's had an abusive ex-husband, beats her senseless, all caught on camera. The guy gets arrested and says, whatever you do, keep this, keep them locked up. He says he's going to come and kill me. Well, in 24 hours, he's out, and he shows up, and he kills her, execution style. And the mom comes out and says, Governor Hochul, this is on you. You didn't change the policy that the guy you just heard from put in place. We heard from every police chief, this is a disaster. You do not want to do this. Plus— when you arrest somebody, you only have a certain amount of time to put the case together. A lot of times you can't put a case together rapidly. And you know he's a danger. And you've got to keep him behind bars. But no, if you don't have it together in a certain amount of time, he gets out. Everyone's in jeopardy. And you need so many man hours in order to build a case on anybody, big or small, if you have a bunch of people in time-sensitive situations that are going to be let out because of this new law. A lot of people aren't even bothering to make the arrest. Go, listen, I'm not going to be able to arrest this guy, do his paperwork, and process him. Why am I going to go wrestle this guy to the ground? By the way, can't use any submission holes. Uh, so I'm going to wrestle to the ground, not touch his head. If he decides to fight back because we know he's a criminal, they got nothing to lose. So a lot of people aren't doing anything. And others just say, yeah, I can't do a job half-assed. I'm going to have to quit. So Kaylee McEnany was on with Jesse last night right after this speech wrapped up where he talked about January 6th, did not talk about crime, did not talk about inflation, did not talk about uh, the economic woes, certainly didn't talk about the border. Cut nine. The sole reason, in my view, is this administration saw the Wall Street Journal poll today, suburban white women swinging back to the Republican Party to the tune of 27% is the swing. The number two issue they cited was threat to democracy. So they leaned into that. They said democracy over and over and over. He kept mentioning the autocrat, which was a reference to Donald Trump, but perhaps he did not read down into the poll enough because at the very end of that Wall Street Journal article was this. Biden in August with white suburban women was winning 55 to 39 in a hypothetical 2024 matchup with Trump. Biden today losing 52 to 41 to the autocrat that he cited. Good point. Kelly McEnany, great instincts, been in the middle of it, press secretary, now host. So just let's look at the polls and how they're doing. It looks like uh, Herschel's up one in the real clear average. Pretty amazing, considering what's going on there uh, in Pennsylvania. By the way, we going after uh, Herschel Walker's intellect is way out of bounds and way inaccurate. If you just read his book, the guy spent his time reading about Greek mythology. That he read so much as a kid because he had absolutely no friends. He also almost he has almost memorized the Bible. 
So anyone who thinks his intellect is anything but above average from Al Sharpton and down, he laughs because he knows it's not true. But the biggest surprise to me is Pennsylvania, where John Fetterman still has a lead after that debate, 48-44 for Dr. Oz. Makes no sense to me. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think democracy is at the core of all this and is something that we should all be worried about. The problem is for the average American where their real wages after inflation and so forth are going down, where we've had all these disruptions to the economy, it's hard to say to them, you know, you should be worrying about democracy instead of gas prices when gas prices are in front of them all the time. Former financial advisor to during the Obama administration, Steve Ratner, is kind of questioning subtly the wisdom of putting a speech about the danger of democracy January 6th and Donald Trump uh, and saying democracy is in the balance with that speech last night. Is that really what the American people are telling you through the studies, uh, through the people polls uh, and through the and through the polls, period? It's not. It's inflation and it's crime and it's uh, the economy in general. Carly Shimkus is here, co-host of Fox and Friends First. Anchor on Fox and Friends. Welcome back, Carly. Hello. So that is Steve Ratner trying subtly to say as a Democrat, uh, kind of a weird topic for your speech (laughs) and the timing out of nowhere. In the morning, he decided to do it. Union Station, no less. Uh, It feels like the president's whole week before the midterm elections has just been filled with busy work. I think about what states he's traveled to. Starts this week in Florida, really? I, even Democratic donors have pulled out of Florida because the, they, the Democratic Party uh, it believes it's a foregone conclusion that Republicans are going to win. Now he's in New Mexico, California. He's not going to the swing states. That is what former President Obama is doing. And this speech last night felt like busy work as well. It was a speech without a purpose. He already made the democracy speech in September. And the only thing that's changed between then is now is a record number of people voted early. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like democracy to me. You know who's not voting early? New York. So that, to me, on surface, looks like it benefits Republicans because three to one Democrats not enthused. More that number of Republicans three to one. But if you're not enthused, you're less likely to vote. I mean, could you imagine if New well, York— Well, Lee going to join me in two hours, or if you're listening, depending on when you hear this show. Yeah. Or on the podcast, if you're listening then, Lee Zeldin's going to be on this show. Yeah, and I, I'm so glad that he will be. And the fact that he has a real chance of winning New York and possibly— I think he said that if he gets 30 percent of the vote in New York City, it will be hard for him to lose— um, and you think about how many people are genuinely concerned about crime and how Kathy Hochul isn't somebody that anybody voted for. I mean, nobody really has any vested interest in seeing her political career continue. Uh, so it, uh, him winning could be a real possibility. And it would be, uh, I think, the biggest head, one of the biggest headlines. It's the race that I'm the most interested in watching. So I was fascinated by this. Democrats have had it so good for so long they have no ground game. So they didn't have a team in place to get the word out in the Bronx and the five boroughs and areas in which they expect to get almost all the vote, like 85 percent of the vote. Why do I waste any time? But Kathy Hochul should have been looking for everything because she has so much money. People were throwing money at it yesterday, $25,000 from Dolan, who owns the Nixon Rangers. The DraftKings guy puts in tens of thousands of dollars. What do you need? I got it. And they want something in return. We know about the, what happened with the tests, yeah. uh, that company that was going to do the rapid tests. We know that company has a fundraiser, and the CEO the next day gets the contract 
to give the rapid test for the state and charges three times what California's been starting. Know, yeah. So it's not even coy. Yeah. I think uh, obviously money is extremely important, but the other M word I think is even more important, and that's messaging. And that's where Lee Zeldin, in a bipartisan, has the messaging on his side. When it comes to public safety, I mean, you look around New York City. Have you ever felt like this before? I mean, I don't know if you maybe in the 90s. I don't know if you were coming into near. Yeah, yeah you're from this well, area. But it's it is reverting back. And in, in, in areas where it used to not be safe or where it used to be safe, it, it's now becoming less so. And Governor Hochul's closing argument is that safety is a conservative conspiracy theory. So she's looking into people's eyes and saying, you're making it up. Are you kidding me? When her opponent is somebody who's been attacked twice or um, he's been the victim of of uh, violent crime twice on the campaign trail once when he was actually making a speech the other having to do with his daughters which is even worse so what's happening with don balduck i I've, i'm finding endlessly fascinating yeah. because he's a general in the military fought like actually in battle for years his back wants to run and the democrats go yeah you're an election denier i'm going to boost you so they give him millions of dollars and he wins the nomination despite the popular governor sununu pushing against it they mm-hmm. wanted the other guy and when 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 Boulder emerges and comes out and says, "Yeah, Mitch McConnell should not be the leader of the Republican Party," McConnell pulls his money, so he gets the nomination. Trump didn't endorse him until Monday, right? And, and to it, endorse him sort of like a half endorsement. Yeah, so yeah, now I hope he wins. Has pulled back and said that he uh, has listened to the people of New Hampshire and believes that the election was no longer stolen. So yeah, and that really ticked off Trump because yeah. he was on our show and said, "I'm not sure if he said that in the break or not," but. Because he oh, well, actually okay. stayed for two breaks. I'm never saying something in the break to you that I don't want to be That's good. That is kind of bad. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> okay. Remind me, Eric. Do you remember if I said it? No, no. Said it it's okay because it, it during Trump's endorsement of Bulldog, he said as much. Thank you. Yes. Saving me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so here is uh, Don Bulldog. You talked about getting uh, getting attacked. He got attacked yesterday on the way to the debate. Yes. And he told you this. Cut 22. I was shaking hands and working working the crowd and thanking people for being there. And then I guess he just couldn't contain himself and he charged from his side of the sidewalk on mine. I just turned my side to reduce my profile uh, and, you know, he made slight contact with me. I'd call it a graze uh, as a result. Uh, but my supporters surrounded me very, very quickly. The police came in very, very quickly. So you don't, you don't have to tell him about violence. No, I think, he's, I think he's aight. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but going back, this actually is a very interesting sort of a juxtaposition, if you will, considering the president's speech yesterday and the tie-in, the, I guess the news peg to why the president um, made the democracy speech is because of the attack on Paul Pelosi. And he tried to link it to January 6th and MAGA Republicans, which we don't, need, uh, we don't even know is true. I mean, the guy who attacked Pelosi, his political affiliation is all over the map. And his ex-partner, he's yeah, he's a crazy person. His ex-partner said that he was progressive. I mean, his, his ex-girlfriend is in prison for pedophilia. So that, I mean, this is like crazy town on top of crazy town. But he was trying to pin this attack on Republicans during the speech. And then as he's making that speech, you have Don Bulldog almost getting attacked at his uh, debate in New Hampshire as well. So I don't think anybody wins when you try and make political attacks political because they happen on both sides. So you just have to recognize that there are crazy people on all sides of the aisle. So this is the other theme that's happened this last this season. You have a lot of first-time politicians, which to me is okay. You have the, the running back, Herschel Walker, businessman. Then you have uh, Carrie Lake, anchor. 
You have uh, Tudor Dixon, mom. You know, mom has her, her own job. Yeah. General Bulldog never really run for office before. Yeah. Goes up and down. I go, okay. I accept that. You know, what happens is you get good consultants around you. If you have momentum behind you, you get the money and you can put together a good campaign. But if you get to know the issues, you put the studying in, I don't need to know that you've had this job, like, for example, Patty Murray for 30 years. So that's Tiffany uh, Smiley. Smiley. Yeah, whose story is incredibly compelling. But all of them are contending. But, yeah, and that's the way it – Why mock? So that's the way it should have – that's the way it should be. You want want a a man or a woman of the people – to become a politician as opposed to a career politician who's only done one thing, and that's be in Washington. That's the way it was. You were a farmer. You were a farmer. <laughs> you really were a farmer back in the you know the 1700s when the founding of this country well, started. You could be a printer and like then, Benjamin yeah, sure. Franklin, and yeah, yeah, a candlestick maker, right. perhaps. Yeah, and then you become a politician, so you know the issues. You know what the you relate to the people. So in Arizona yesterday it was a former president, Barack Obama. And he knows that Carrie Lake is like a zenith, went from nowhere to up uh, now, I think, real clear on the average one or two. But I think she's trending even greater because her opponent's terrible and she's great. Cut 26. If we hadn't just elected somebody whose main qualification was being on TV, you could see maybe giving it a shot. What's the worst that could happen? Well, now we know. It doesn't just work out just because somebody's been on TV. Turns out, turns out being president or governor is about more than snappy lines and good lighting. It's about more than having a good anchor voice. It's about understanding what people are going through. It's about coming up with real solutions for how to make your life better. This isn't a reality show. So people that say, okay, this one-term senator whose main qualifications was to be a... Community organizer. Why, that's how he why should he be president? Yeah, exactly. I mean, he just attacked his... Oh, that's, that, that is so rich coming from him. He attacked his own story. He, uh, he was sort of the rags-to-riches politician where he came from nowhere. He made um, the one speech. I, I believe he did the, the answer to the... Um, well, I think he was, he, was, he was the keynote speaker or the new person at John Kerry's, uh, John Kerry's convention. That's exactly right. And then people were like, wow, this guy's incredible. And then, you know, he's a senator and then he becomes the president of the United States. Uh, and to his point about how you need to actually address people's concerns, I mean, that is 100 percent why Carrie Lake is in the position where she is. And does he not understand uh, journalism, local local anchors? You do fundraisers nonstop. You do appearances everywhere. You talk to a ton of people. Yeah, and you have actually, a lot in of your connections. Story, and then you walk into a restaurant, you hear what's going on, totally. and then you, you become – you work a story. He is right about the lighting, which is – The lighting is interesting. No, it's beautiful. I mean, she's beautiful. Um, and but she does have great lighting. Yeah, she looks. It looks like remember um, the old Star Trek episodes where it was like they would cover the camera with Vaseline and the girls would look all like soft and right. glowy. It's kind of like that, right? It's all like the a time. Throwback. And they kind of had fun with it on SNL with that. Oh, did they? Yeah, I didn't even know that. Right, because you don't watch. Nobody here in this building watches SNL. <laughs> I think I'm the only one because I just want to get that nugget of funny. Yeah. once in a while. And every now, every now and then, if something trends, I'll look it up, and it it can make me laugh, it's well, especially when it's non political. I mean, after Fetterman's debate, knowing this, they went after a blind Democratic governor five years ago, and David Patterson. 
when Fetterman comes out and says, hello, good night, everyone, you would think did that they touch it. They did something about that. Eric, what did they do in the news? They didn't do it in the cold open. The cold open, they just made fun of Republicans. Oh, which was a, unbelievable. I sat there. Another and, day ending in a while. Yeah, I, I DVR it. Just, oh, I'm so disappointed because I go, this is the time to balance it out. Yeah. Because you remember, they had, a, I, I thought, I thought uh, Will Farrell was demeaning, but he was funny as Bush. Uh-huh. And uh, I thought uh, there was a funny Clinton. And I keep forgetting his name. He was great. Do you remember, Pete? Um, who who was the one who played Bill Clinton that was really good and that was so disappointed he didn't do Trump? Remember, he wanted to get Trump because he did Trump with a sense of humor rather than a Darryl sense of... can't do that. Who? Was it Daryl Hammond? Yes. Oh. Thank you. Uh, Daryl Hammond. So, you know, that, that was fun. Well, you made fun of all this stuff. Yeah, and sometimes SNL uh, makes fun of Republicans, too, and then it boosts them up. Remember, re- I, I really – Dan Crenshaw, I think, is an incredible politician. Um, but he really jumped – what launched his, I think, national persona was when Pete, Pete Davidson. Davidson attacked him for having the eye patch. And then he – I thought Dan Crenshaw, the way he handled it, was so so good. Yeah. He's like, listen, it, I I always say, don't be too sensitive about these things. I don't care. I don't care that this happened. And then SNL invited him on, and it was a funny thing. And now, you know, he's doing his thing in Texas, and he's doing a great job. Yeah, we're going to take a time out. So we have some um, – I'm going to try to be mature about this and not try to have one long segment and act surprised when we have a short segment on the other <laughs> side. So I'm trying to show some, a little bit of anchor savvy. Yes, time management. Uh, Carly Shimkus here for one more block. We're also going to find out, uh, also going to find out what else is going on because there's another upset brewing out there that not many people are talking about. And Stephen Colbert might have helped her. I'll discuss that when we return. During a White House ceremony, President Biden wished Kamala Harris a happy birthday, then accidentally called her a great president. <laughs> Even worse, he was talking to a portrait of Michelle Obama. <laughs> Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Jackson's not the only one worried about this issue. So is this guy she totally made up. I had a gentleman come up to me just a few nights ago, and he said, I found content in my school library describing how to have sex to my son. I went to the Democrats, and I said, I cannot believe that this is in there. Okay. (laughs) Fine. That happened. And they laughed because it didn't happen. But what did we find out? It did happen. Right. Um, Khalil Othman said this to the Detroit Press. To claim I'm not here, I don't exist, I'm not human, that's absolutely ignorance. If this person did his diligence and started researching or had his team do a little bit of research, who's the person who attended Dixon's rally, they would be able to find out it was him. This guy was a local lawmaker that told the story to to Dixon. She was not lying. Colbert was flat out wrong. Yeah, and um, my initial reaction is, oh, my gosh, I hope that the Colbert staff – realizes that they yep. were wrong in this and you never know if they actually will. I I think you said this on Fox and Friends quite brilliantly I might add that I don't know how much uh Fox and Friends Colbert's show is watching <laughs> maybe some to get content when they want to, you know, make fun of us. 
But, uh, you know, it's just one of those things. And this could this once again, it elevates the it elevates what she was really saying, which is the, about the school issue and the woke stuff in the schools. And it's still going on. And now she's really gaining ground. I mean, just two weeks ago. Uh, Gretchen Whitmore was up by double digits. Right. And now it's like, a, it's like a margin of error race. And, and the thing that's so crazy is another Democratic superstar is struggling for their political lives. Yes, exactly. And it's another governor. I think that the two most important issues when it comes to gubernatorial races are the local issues, crime and schools, uh, because those are obviously things that are handled at a local level. So inflation obviously matters a lot. But when it comes to crime, when it comes to schools, that and those are two issues that Tudor Dixon has been hammering home, especially the school stuff, because she's got four kids of her own. And I think that's even why she wanted to jump in the race. Also because of COVID. I mean, the lockdown policies that Gretchen Whitmore is doing, fighting the oil and gas industry to the detriment of Michigan. Uh, so, the, you know, there's a lot of reasons why they're, that, uh, that Tudor Dixon's finally gaining traction. I'm surprised she didn't gain traction earlier, to be honest. I mean, she's certainly confident enough and was able to take on a sitting senator who was telling, not telling the truth about the lockdowns while going to Florida herself and letting yeah. her husband do her own thing. Mm-hmm. And to me, I'd be so bitter if I was had a, a business and she kept it locked down and had those inspectors go in just like Cuomo was just destroying businesses yeah. in New York, trying to find some cook, assistant cook with a with a mask down and find that business struggling to make ends meet, staying six feet apart for no reason in retrospect, and then you're finding them $5,000. This is the biggest mystery to me. After that horrendous debate by John Fetterman, stroke addled, he is still winning by three points, according to a Fox News poll. I know, I know, I saw over that. Over Dr. Oz? Yeah. How I, does that? I do not know, because especially because there's more polling that shows that uh, uh, more than half of people are taking that debate into consideration. But other polls show that people still care more about the sort of feeling that Dr. Oz isn't from Pennsylvania and that he's a carpetbagger. Uh, so that's sort of the that's where things stand right now. I, I don't know. I, I Polls also could be wrong, you know. With Hillary Clinton, does anyone in New York really think she was from New York? She's from Washington before that Arkansas. She yeah. wants to be a senator from New York, is there for a day. I mean, please, this guy went to college there. He had a house there. But more so than even the debate, it's the record. It's the the fracking comments, the crime comments. Come on. The fact that he was a mayor for two seconds and made $150 a month and lived off his parents. The wind up to the F word. I thought we were going to have to bleep you. (laughs) The fracking. I want to get bleeped. I want to get bleeped once in my life. Not now. Okay. Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. This is Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. It's going to be an exciting hour. Uh, Catherine Limbaugh will be joining us. Uh, she has, of course, got a brand-new book out about uh, about her husband, uh, Rush Limbaugh, the great radio's greatest of all time, Rush Limbaugh, with Kathy Adams Limbaugh and David Limbaugh, uh, his esteemed brother, Mark Thiessen, standing by. 
And, of course, we're following everything with the election as everybody goes out to stump for the final time. you got the all-stars everywhere where the most help is needed. Believe it or not, there's a lot of help needed in New York. Nobody ever, nobody forecasted this on the outside is because Kathy Hochul's fallen flat on her face and others in the Democratic Party might be paying the price with their seat uh, because it's downstream. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. The border patrol is up against, you know, they're not only up against these cartels, they're up against their own administration, their own secretary. This secretary has no respect for the men and women of border patrol, and that's exactly what he deserves. Broken border. That's what the Dems want. Or as our nation, uh, they want our nation to ignore what's happening as New York finally uses its tent city. I'm talking about flat screens and cots and free food and warehouse to warehouse illegals as the overwhelmed border agents get set to turn in their badges. Number two. If I'm a liberal Democrat, I would say, Joe, please stop helping. Final state-by-state polls and trends five days from the midterm midterm elections as surrogates fan out across the country. We'll talk about it. Number one. You know, American democracy is under attack because the defeated former president of the United States refuses to accept the results of the 2020 election. Where's this coming from? Insulting, abusive, and politically tone-deaf. That's how I view the president's primetime address as he rants about January 6th. Trump and the attack on Pelosi. The under This underlines the Dems' biggest problem. They don't understand what really concerns Americans. Mark Thiessen, former speechwriter for Bush, a Fox News contributor, Washington Post columnist, joins us now. Mark, I was shocked and angered by that speech last night. Were you? A hundred percent. I mean, look, first of all, he tried it once, and it was a disaster. And so a few days before the election, he says, let's try it again. Let's, it worked so well the first time. Let's let's raise the illustrate the issue again. First of all, he he does it at Union Station, right? Which is this if for people who are not from Washington D.C. It's this really dramatic, beautiful building, stone carved like that, and it has been turned into an absolute hellscape by by the by liberal policies. And the, the Starbucks in Union Station had to close because of the crime and violence in Union Station. It's a homeless shelter, and so he does it there. And then he doesn't even use the backdrop. He just, you know, does it in front of like a screen with some American flags. He could have done that in the White House. And and then he gives a speech and he doesn't mention inflation. He doesn't mention crime. He doesn't mention the border. He doesn't mention fentanyl. He doesn't mention any of the things that that, that voters uh, are saying are the top priorities in their election. So not only is it insulting to say that basically basically his message is if Democrats do not have unified control of the country, then our democracy is in danger. And and he's basically saying to the country, I don't care about the things you care about. I'm, I, I'm, I'm giving you my final message before <laughs> the election, and it doesn't involve a single issue that you have told the pollsters. If you wanted to, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a miasma of incompetence that encapsulates the entire Biden administration in a single speech. The extreme MAGA element of the Republican Party, which is a minority of that party, as I said earlier, but it's this driving force. It's trying to succeed where they failed in 2020, to suppress the right of voters and subvert the electoral system itself. So, number one, most people, Mark, are on Trump's side. I mean, the Liz Cheney's, the Adam Kinzigers are out there. We know the George Wills and others are out there. 
for the most part, people uh, like the Trump policies and pretty much would sign off on his agenda as part of the party platform being strong on the border, uh, less intervention overseas. Uh, when you talk about uh, cutting taxes and being more pro-worker uh, than pro-big business, a lot of that stuff, if you want to label it MAGA, make America great again, a lot of Republicans fit under that. So it's not OK to say extremes. Yeah. So what Biden doesn't seem to understand is that voters didn't reject Trumpism in the last election. They rejected Trump. They, they didn't like the chaos. They didn't like, you know, the, the covid briefings where he was getting it's so well reporters so and well all put. the rest of it. But they didn't. They thank you. But the <laughs> blind squirrel gets an acorn once in a while. But the but the uh, you know, they, they 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 love the Trump agenda. They, they you know, right before the election okay, in 2020, October, Gallup did a poll. And they asked, the, as they do every presidential election, are you better off now than you were four years ago? More than I think it was 53 percent of Americans said they were better off now than they were four years ago. That is the highest it's ever been in the Gallup poll. And it happened in the midst of the worst pandemic since, since 1918, the worst racial unrest since the 1960s, the worst uh, economic crisis since the Great Depression. And voters still said, I'm better off now than I were four, was four years ago. Those 53 percent of Americans didn't vote for Trump. And that's that's you know that's something that we're going to have to look at as Republicans on Jan you know on on November 9th when after this election is over and when we start turning to what's going to happen in 2024 is why is it that that Trump's policies were so successful and that people who didn't vote for him liked what he was doing but they still didn't cast their ballots for him and what does that say about how we should go and what direction we should go for in 2024? So now it's, yeah that's it, a great point and I look forward to that and no longer can you say. We got to get through the midterms. Why is everyone talking about 2024? Then it's going to uh, November 9th. They can't say that Literally anymore. Literally at 12:01 a.m. Right. So Politico came out and said what was behind that speech and I assume it's true. No there's been no walk back yet. That uh, Brian, that Joe Biden is alarmed that so many people, their election deniers, won their primaries and seem to be in contention or winning the general. And that is why he's been aching to make that speech. Well, you, the clowns in your own party, bolstered up people that you thought were unelectable to win their primary in yep. order for you to have an easy, your party to have easy time winning the general. And guess what? From Tudor Dixon to Carrie Lake to Don Bolduck. You have this is blown up in your face. I'm not sure if Tiffany Smiley, but I know she was endorsed by Trump. How much money was there? All of these things, they just came whipping back. And you know why? Part of it is, Mark, in my opinion, is that they're not just talking about elections. Now. They're not talking about ballots or anything like that. They just get out there and they basically have the Trump agenda. They're moving forward. And when asked about it, say, yeah, I got a little problem with that election. It was a pandemic rules should stop. And they move on. And they became yeah. traditional candidates. And every time they try yeah. to be brought back. The reality of inflation and crime would make the question seem ridiculous. So now no one really focuses on what Chuck Schumer and company were focusing on and that election denial that is a dead end for any politician. Yeah. So, I mean, here's the thing. Um, what what you know, Liz Cheney has basically decided that unless you're really unless you're willing to throw your body on a grenade and get blown up. Then you're not then you're not brave and patriotic, right? Like she did. She she ran a kamikaze mission where she blew up her political career did. Uh, over this, right? A lot of Republicans don't believe what Donald Trump says about the 2016 election. They know it wasn't 2020. stolen. But sorry, the 2020 election. They know it wasn't stolen. But 
they're not going to run into the gunfire. I mean, you know, if you're a Marine, they don't teach you that the only way to fight is to run directly into the gunfire and lie bleeding on the field. If you've got an overwhelming force against you with the, with the, with this lie about the 20, 2020 election, you don't have to go up and stand up and fight about it. You can duck. It's it's not, it's okay to duck the wave and and talk about uh, and talk about the issues, pivot to the issues you want to talk about, and quite frankly, the issues that voters care about. Why you know the, the, why should why should somebody running for Congress be forced to pick a fight with Trump rather than picking a fight with Biden and his opponent? So, you know, I, I, you know, I don't think that a lot of these quote unquote election deniers are actually election deniers. I think they're just people who want to talk about something else and, and don't want to get involved right. in Trump's fight with, 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 with Biden. But you know what? I, I do think that everybody listening right now has a responsibility to say, where do I vote? What are the rules? And if you do have a problem sure. with the rules, say it now or it might be too late this week because five days left. But make it clear. Hey, listen, why, why is there signature match? Why is there not voter ID? Why is there neither? You know, why is there drop boxes in every corner? Why aren't there? Whatever your problem is, I don't want to hear it after. I want to hear it before. And then you take personal responsibility. And for you as a candidate, a lot of you have a lot of money. And you get that legal team in place to challenge like they did in Pennsylvania, led by Ronna McDaniel. They said there's, there's ballots being out there without names and dates on it. I want you to rein them in. And a judge said, yeah, you're right. Let's rein them in. Don't count them. That, to me, is what you do. So here, here's a question I want to I want to learn. I've got a bunch of questions I want to learn after the, after Tuesday's election. But one of them is, in the states where Republicans pass voter integrity laws, what happened to turnout? Because we already see in Georgia that the turnout has hit record levels. What about Texas? What about some of these other states? What was what was the effect of turnout? Were, were these really voter suppression efforts, or were they efforts to to make sure that our elections were run fairly and competently? Um, you know, so th- so that that's one thing. And the second thing is, let's uh, assuming Republicans have a great sweep of uh, of this election that we're that, that many of us are hoping for. What does that say about 2020? Joe Biden just said democracy is on the ballot. If literally the future of our country is on the ballot today, well, if why if they stole 2020, why didn't they steal this one? If, if it's so much is at stake. Right. right. Uh, so, so what's you know, in Brock, I think a kind of a Republican sweep would disprove the 2020 uh, the 2020 uh, stolen election theory because Democrat if Democrats have this great ability to steal elections, why didn't they do it this time? Well, a couple of things. You know, they are changes. I mean, people are reading yeah. in drop boxes. They absolutely they've true. switched in Georgia. True. Uh, they switched in Georgia. Now they want ID, and 80 percent of the American public is fine with that. Uh, although I did see somebody a trans person say that they have ID is giving them problems because they changed their gender and the IDs aren't responsive enough. And I was, my head was about to explode. Uh, So I have no idea how we handle that. Here is Barack Obama yesterday, cut 15. And if you've got election deniers serving as your governor, as your senator, as your secretary of state, as your attorney general, then democracy as we know it may not survive in Arizona. That's not an exaggeration. That is a fact. (laughs) <laughs> he didn't want you to laugh after that. I'm sorry. I, mean, I am laughing. I think a lot. So here's the thing about Barack Obama. Barack Obama, when he was president, lost more uh, Senate, House, state legislative and gubernatorial seats than any president in American history. So in, in during in, over his four years, he lost one thousand twenty seven elected offices, including the White House, which because Donald Trump came in right after him. He is electoral kryptonite. The idea that the Democrats are going to Joe Biden is too toxic to campaign for us. Let's go get Barack Obama to do it. 
he, he lost. He was. He's. He's like you know the death knell for for down ballot Democrats. His entire presidency. So you know, uh, go go for it. Let 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 Barack Obama go on the hustings and then talk about uh, how our democracy is in uh, in peril because Republicans are going to win. I, I I would almost pay for him to send to send him to, to more swing states. Mark Thiessen with us now. Uh, Catherine Limbaugh coming up in ten minutes. But before we go, I got to get you on New York. So Lee Zeldin. And I'm I'm pretty sure I'm not talking out of school. Was preparing to run and against Cuomo, and he was prepared to run against his crackdown, to run against the inspectors, to run against the 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 need for ventilators, to the, the transformation of Jacob Javits Center at the cost of billions of dollars, and uh, what he did to crack down and on schools, and his brawling with the mayor that hurt our uh, our terrible mayor, but hurt everybody in the, in the meantime while raising taxes. He was a guest with John Castamatidis on his podcast yesterday, and he even picked up what we've been saying. How are you in New York running for any office, big or small, and not talking about crime and what you do about it? Listen to him. Cut 19. I don't mm. know why the Democrats, and this is nationwide, I don't know why they can't be more aggressive addressing the issue of crime. You can be a progressive, but you still understand that job one is public safety. And the truth is... <laughs> Some people have to be put in jail to keep society safe. I know it sounds harsh Mm -hmm. and Democrats don't like to say it, but it's the truth. And until we start addressing crime aggressively and bluntly, uh, we're going to see this issue. Your thoughts. Why is he obsessed with crime? Now. (laughs) (laughs) That's... I mean, it's just, you know, the, the the disaster that has happened in New York in terms of crime. And I think I saw a poll. Seventy percent of New Yorkers are personally afraid of being a victim of violent crime. So it's not even when, you know, it used to be that crime was ghettoized, right? That it was only in certain high crime neighborhoods. And if you were living in nicer neighborhoods, you could walk around and basically be oblivious to the human, uh, you know, catastrophe that was happening in, in you know, just a few miles away from you. Right now it's everywhere. It's everywhere, and it's affecting everyone. And so voters, you know, the the, the liberal elites in their in their safe neighborhoods, and they're in in the on the Upper West Side, and in you know suburban uh, suburban uh, Long Island. All of a sudden, they're getting affected. I mean, Lee Selden, he lives in, he lives in a in a upper middle class suburb in Long Island, and there was a drive by shooting outside his house. Yes, this is how bad it's gotten. And Democrats are dismissive. Kathy Hochul was dismissive of it. So, you know, yeah, I, th- I think there's a good chance. You know, it, I, I hope that things haven't cha- haven't gone so far to the left in New York. There was a day when, you know, New York, New Yorkers, liberal New York elected Rudy Giuliani as the mayor and he cleaned up the city. I don't know if there's if that New York still exists, but uh, even even liberals are, are tired of, the, of being afraid of going out of their house. I'll tell you, Lee Zeldin will be coming up on a different hour here uh, on the Brian Kilmeade show. So I will bring up I do think it exists and I don't think that Yunkin. And DeSantis twice would come to New York in the backstretch, even though they're friends with Zeldin, if they didn't yep. have a legitimate shot. Their time is just too valuable. Uh, yep. It makes me think the internals are really strong. And by the way, Cuomo started this whole thing with zero cash bail. So how dare he be judgmental now? But I, I do enjoy hearing that Democrat, somebody speaking reasonably, which is Amen. why I like pulling Bill Maher a lot. Uh, Mark Thiessen, thanks so much. Always great. Take care. It's truly on his A game. Back in a moment. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade.
information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I've said that we need to be strong on border security. What we need to do is not only add personnel equipment, but we got to make sure that we put money. We put money uh, at the border. That's what we've done. But we can't play defense on the one-yard line. Uh, we've seen these uh, numbers come in, and what we need to do is deport people. If you don't have repercussions at the border, they're going to come in, just like that migrant said, abierto, it's open. And, yeah, there's no denying about that. So what we need to do is to make sure that there are repercussions at the border. And if we're able to do that, then I think uh, we're going to see the numbers slow down. Uh, that is uh, Congressman Henry Cuellar, Democrat, uh, talking about the border. Rory, you're in Panama. You want to talk about the border. Rory. Yeah, yeah, uh, Brian, it's been a while. Uh, look, I live in Panama, and I've seen with my own eyes, they, the Panama has encampments set up as staging areas to process illegal aliens on their way to the USA. And, and uh, I've seen it with my own eyes, okay? It, they they receive Bocas del Toros is the one that I saw. Um, but my whole family is in the national police force, and they have to they have duty, you know, to, uh, uh, overseeing all this stuff. And they don't like it either. Nobody likes it here. But the U.S. is footing the bill. And what they, they get here, they receive food, water, a cot, diapers, formula, everything, until they board a bus. I know, Glory. They, they board a bus and they get in here through Panama. I know. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Almost every American family knows the pain when a loved one is diagnosed with a serious illness. Here tonight is a special man, beloved by millions of Americans, who just received a stage four advanced cancer diagnosis. This is not good news, but what is good news is that he is the greatest fighter and winner that you will ever meet. Rush Limbaugh, I am proud to announce tonight that you will be receiving our country's highest civilian honor, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And with that, the, the, the medal was uh, put around his neck and uh, clearly moved Rush Limbaugh at one of the great highlights of his illustrious career and his life. Joining us now to talk more about this, based off the book and the and the rush she knew, uh, is Rush's wife, Catherine Adams Limbaugh. You put together a book called Radio's Greatest of All Time uh, with David Limbaugh, his great brother. Uh, Catherine, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Brian. That was wonderful to hear again. I didn't know you were going to play that. That really touched my heart. Thank uh, you so much. What was that like for you? You were there, right? I was. It was it was incredible. You know, the very brief story is that we had no idea this this was going to happen. We actually flew up to Boston where Rush was going to have an operation the very next morning and we got a call from President Trump saying that you really have to be in Washington tonight. <laughs> and so we we were there and it was a complete surprise and it was unbelievably humbling. It was it was wonderful in every way. Rush was touched beyond belief and it it was wonderful. 
I just love the recounting of his story uh, in your book, and you were kind enough to mail one to my house with an autograph, and I can't thank you enough for that. But I imagine it's going to be the biggest Christmas seller especially because uh, Rush means so much to so many people. Lela, even if you're in radio, period, doesn't matter if you're a commentator or a DJ, uh, he means a lot. And his story is such it's such an American story, an unlikely success story. And you write uh, in the book and recount where Rush's words that he goes up to his dad after a year in college. He goes, listen, I, I'm not into school. Uh, I want to go. I want to go start my career. And his dad was horrified. He said, from the Depression, World War II, if you didn't have a college education, you go nowhere. And he said, I'm just going to go be a commentator. You know, I'm, I'm going to go do radio. I like William F. Buckley. I love listening to you. So I'm going to go do it myself. How did that conversation go? That's exactly right. Well, he hated school. He thought that school was prison for him. So in elementary school, he used to say that painting was a waste of time. So from that day on, from elementary school onward, he really liked to learn in a different way. He very much was self-taught. He studied incredible patriots like William Buckley and Thatcher and Reagan. And early on, I think his parents were a little bit worried at the the challenge of, of not really liking conventional school, but they quickly learned that, that he was brilliant, that he was going on a different path, and that he was admiring some of the most incredible greats of, of our time and in our history. He loved his, his parents. I think that he got a bit from both of them, from his father. His father was incredibly brilliant as well and used to speak to them in their, in their living room at, at home as they were growing up about the politics of the day and important issues. And his mother was very much an entertainer and, and so funny, and she she gave that, I think, in many ways to Rush, as well as being incredibly caring. So I think they, they said that he turned out okay, but they were a bit worried out of the gate, I think. <laughs> so he writes, when he, he gets an offer to go to, you know, he had that five years with the Royals, and he said, I got a chance to meet doing sales, people I'll, I'll you know, I would never have gotten a chance to meet, but he knew the corporate atmosphere was not for him, but famously, he had great relationship with George Brett, the legend, Terry royal third baseman uh, that still existed till his last day. But he goes out to Sacramento and he said one of the things really worked for him is all the focus was on the morning show, not on the afternoon show. So they put all this money into the morning show and everyone's focused there and Rush could just do his own thing. And there he took root and took off. What did he tell you about that time? Because it's in the book. That's exactly right. Well, first I should just say that this book is written by Rush. It's his words. We simply put everything together. And he started it right after that Medal of Freedom ceremony, in fact. And so he went through his life through a lot of very important times that he could remember as he reflected back on his extraordinary life. And he did talk about Sacramento quite a bit because he was fired so many times, as, as many know who are listening, who, who followed Rush over the years. He was always a little controversial, so to speak. He hated that word, but he always said that he was a, a tad controversial. So when he went to Sacramento, it was the first time that he could be himself. He could be the entertaining figure, the brilliant figure. He could talk about politics. And that's where everything started to take off for him. He really he loved radio from the time that he was he was a young kid. He used to hang around as an intern when he was around 8, 10, 12, 15. He was always around the radio station in, in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. 
And then he he went on to numerous jobs. He was a, a DJ and so forth. But he had such a passion for speaking directly to people in a way that only Rush could. He was so funny. He was so brilliant. He loved our country. He loved the American people with with all of his heart. So from Sacramento on, he went to New York, and and that the rest was history. He launched his national program and and became the best of all time and always will be. Did he know you were putting together this book? He did. He did. soon. Well, actually, I should backtrack just briefly. And one thing I should say is he absolutely loved you, Brian. He thought that you were so funny. You brought humor to every day. You're so clear and direct. And I know he would want me to, to say that to you. Wow. But yes, he, he did. He watched you every day, actually, on, on Fox and Friends. But in 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 addition to that, he, he did know about this book because he was asked to write something similar years and years ago. And being typical Rush, he said that how can I possibly pick from such words of, of wisdom over so many years? But after his diagnosis, I think he really wanted to reflect on his life, and he started to do that. So we spent a lot of time together where he would tell me about important moments in his life. A lot of them were on the radio. Some were off the radio. And I think what's different about this book is that it is Rush's words directly, and it unfolds so much like a Rush Limbaugh show program. There's yeah, monologues, there's jokes, there's wonderful pictures, but it's Rush shining through his optimism, his inspiration, his love for our country, his perseverance in his own life, because he, he did go through many obstacles in his life. And, and I think that he wanted to leave this for the American people and for his listeners and, and everyone, especially leading into such an important election. He wanted people to know that the best days are ahead. And that's really the purpose of this book. So here's a little of Rush in action, uh, an excerpt from the special we did on Rush in his life. Cut 33. I think the natural spirit uh, of the human being is freedom. The na- that's the natural spirit of our creation. That's the yearning that we have is to be free. And conservatism is simply freedom. Nobody can blow up that bond that Trump voters have the Washington establishment to this day does not understand Donald Trump. They don't understand his voters, and they're not curious to find out why. I've always been oriented uh, on, the, on the conservative side of things. Never, ever wavered, was never tempted by anything else. We're Americans, which means we have the freedom to invest in whatever it is that makes us happy. That's in our founding documents. Just wanted to share that with people at home, that this is just what he believes, what he said. That's an excerpt could be on any show. Not that he ever repeated himself, but if you have those foundations, you can ride through any issue, correct? That's right. And, you know, he was such a friend on the radio. He was such a family member to so many people because he said exactly what he believed in that way. He believed so much in the freedom of our country, in American exceptionalism, in the American dream. He wanted so many people to hold on to that and never be put into stereotypes and all of these different categories that that we now have to face in, in our current culture. He wanted people to say, our country is the greatest 
it was founded by our original founding fathers. I tend to say that that Rush is a modern day founding father, yeah. the George Washington of of radio in many ways. But he was so optimistic. He was so patriotic. He wanted every person who was an American to know that we're free, that we can be anything that we we want to be, that we're not bound by obstacles that that sometimes can cause limitations other places. And he believed exactly what he said on the radio and talked directly to to people one-on-one as if they were a family member, a brother, a father figure. Right. And to be the best at something, have the most success, be the most successful guy on radio and not get caught up in it and be that everyday person that you can approach. I remember one of the first times I saw him was at the White House at the Christmas party. I'm thinking to myself, I know he's mentioned me and used some cuts on the radio, but I'll introduce myself. And if he and he was going through with the uh, he's going through his problems with hearing for a while. And uh, I said, you know, if he blows me off, it's okay. But I just want to introduce myself. And he couldn't have been nicer. And the whole world stopped. And he just started, we started engaging. I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is George W. Bush's uh, Christmas party. Everybody wants to talk to him. But he just sat and zoned in. And I thought, man, if you could be the best in the business, sought after by everyone, everywhere you go, people know your name, and still be able to listen to people and interact like that, man, that is indeed a goal. Um, I want you to hear, uh, if we share with all of our, with our audience and with you, Rush Limbaugh, December 23rd, 2020, talking about our country, um, uh, obviously after the election, uh, and a lot of people were down because uh, President Trump had lost. Cut 35. If disaster is coming our way, we don't just sit there and endure it. We come up with ways to avoid it, to beat it back to overcome it, but we don't just sit there and accept it. And as such, we don't just resign ourselves to the fact that we're living in the darkest days because we, at least to this point, still have the greatest degree of freedom of any people on earth. Now, it's under assault and under attack, and we all know this, but I don't believe our darkest days are ahead of us. I never have. Like people have been asking, you, you, you've always told us it'd be time to panic. It's, time. Well, it's never time to panic, folks. It's never, ever going to be time to give up on our country. It'll never be time to give up on the United States. It'll never be time to give up on yourself. And as we get to the midterms, Catherine, and you see a lot of Republicans feel a lot of optimism about taking the House and Senate, states, houses, governorships, and where the country is right now, what do you think he'd be saying? Oh, he'd be thrilled to see what's going to happen on on Tuesday. If we stay positive, we all get out and vote. There's some great candidates. I know he'd be inspired and happy about that. And he would definitely continue with what he always said was, it's never time to panic. It's never time to give up on America. Our best days are ahead. And I think he'd be encouraged. I know over the course of the last year or so, year and a half, he wouldn't have been. He would have been quite terrified, as most people probably are. Who, who aren't happy with the election results, but he would be very encouraged about Tuesday, and he doesn't want us to focus on doom. He'd want us to be as optimistic as we could, and I think he'd be rallying everyone to, to get out there, vote, and make it a huge, a huge win. I know you're on a book tour, and it, was, and it was 7 o'clock last night, so I wouldn't doubt that you were probably out to eat, but did you see the president's speech last night, and what do you think, Rush, and what do you think about it? What do you think he would have thought about it? Yes, I did, unfortunately. <laughs> I I tend to pay quite a, a bit of attention and, and did see it, and I think he would have been 
you know, uh, disappointed as as everyone is, and and quite dismayed by by how they're trying to tie certain things together. And what he probably would have done is not given any attention to it whatsoever because it probably doesn't deserve it. And he would have said, "This is exactly why we need to win on Tuesday, and and we have five days left to do it." The latest book is called Radio's Greatest of All Time. Catherine Limbaugh uh, put together this compilation of Rush Limbaugh's life and career and how he got to where he was is after, of course, his passing uh, a short time ago. Catherine, what do you miss most about him? He was the most loving, the most encouraging. He was so humble. He was my best friend in, in many ways. I miss his voice on the radio as millions of people do, his unwavering optimism. Whenever you were having a bad day, you could turn on Rush and somehow he would get you through it. And, and he was like that at home as well. He was actually quite a hermit. I know he wouldn't mind me saying that <laughs> he liked to be quite quiet at home, which is ironic since he would talk for three hours nonstop. But I love that about him. I love that he was one thing on the radio in terms of how much he wanted to, to talk and be nonstop. And then when he got home, he just loved to play with his tech. He loved to watch shows. He was just an average, ordinary guy. And then during the the rest of the day, he was, he was the George Washington of radio. So I miss that humble nature of his and his loving heart. I'm sure you love that you're out there talking about the book, talking about him, and of course, being able to talk about the news. Uh, listen, if you if you like Rush and if you like this show, you you probably love Rush. Go out and get this book. It's the Christmas gift that you are guaranteed to be successful with. If you want to get something thoughtful and you don't know exactly what to get, this is it. You're not going to regret it. But your biggest problem is is keeping it shut and wrapping it up and not looking at it yourself. So you might as well get two. Catherine, <laughs> thanks so much for mailing it and uh, thanks for your kind words. Thank and I remember I wrote I wrote Rush just to ask how he was. And he said, well, I'm trying, he says, I'm trying to stay above ground. And I said, every show to me, uh, uh, when I listen to you, it seems like every show to me sounds like you're first, like you're so enthusiastic. And he wrote me back the nicest reply. And I'm thinking all the pain he was in, all the problems he had, what he must have been thinking, he still took time to return emails. And I'm just in awe of his life and, and the way it ended. You know, Brian, that's right. He never phoned it in. Much like you, he was incredibly hardworking. He never, ever thought that he reached the pinnacle of success that he did. Every day was a new day for him. He wanted to be the best for all of his yeah. listeners. He took it so seriously. He he could have given up so much sooner, and he never did. He was on the radio just days and, and prior. And, Catherine, I'm sure you know, just from being around Rush, we had a hard break. It was a thrill talking to you. Thanks so much. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. My point in all of this today is gratitude. My my point in everything today that I share with you about this is to say thanks and to tell everybody involved how much I love you from the bottom of a sizable and growing and still beating heart. I wasn't expected to be alive today. You have an expiration date. 
a lot of people never get told that, and so they they um, don't face life this way. I've learned what love really is during this. And that is uh, Rush is one of his final broadcasts. Uh, have a chance to talk to his audience. It meant so much to him. Uh, and uh, and that was it. I mean, it has been replaced. It's hard to believe. Everything's on warp speed now. It's hard to believe uh, that he passed away is not here, especially when you hear him talk and about things that are so much in the news. And the bond he had with Donald Trump, as unorthodox as he is and as traditional as a conservative as he was, William F. Buckley and all those people that meant so much to him, him and Trump were inseparable, and he really understood him better than anybody else. Hey, by the way, the president of Freedom Fighter is out on paperback. Talk about two great Americans. If you want to scoop it up and see me in person, Scranton, 1 o'clock, books a million. That'll be this Saturday. Hope to see everybody there. And if you want a signed copy, go to my website, click it in. I show up and sign. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, one 408 Thanks so much uh, for making us a part of the election season. We are just on the cusp, less than a week away from finding out who what party is going to prevail in the midterms. And so far, momentum, no doubt. If you look at the other channels, if you listen to the other candidates, uh, you see the other commentators and read the columns. They're trying to make sense of which is going to be a red wave again. I don't think I have any doubt. You, of course you don't want to. Uh, you don't want to count the the game over while there's still time on the clock. Nobody does. Anyone who does that doesn't want to be is not a competitor. But man, the situation on the ground, the situation with the economy leads one to think America is fed up. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three. The border shows up against you know they're not only up against these cartels, they're up against their own administration, their own secretary. This secretary has no respect for the men and women of Border Patrol, and that's exactly what he deserves. Uh, that is Tom Homan, Broken Border. What the Dems want our nation to ignore uh, is, uh, is something that we just will not ignore as a country. New York finally using its tent city, the cots, the flat screens, the free food, and the free laundry to warehouse illegals. Wait till you find out who they are and how they got here. Number two. If I'm a liberal Democrat, I would say, Joe, please stop helping. <laughs> that's Lindsey Graham. Uh, final state-by-state polls and trends five days from the midterm elections. It's Sarah gets fan out and former president's lash out. And the word to this president is stay out. Number one. You know, American democracy is under attack because the defeated former president of the United States refuses to accept the results of the 2020 election. President Biden, his address last night, insulting, abusive, and politically tone deaf. That's how I view the president's primetime address as he rants about January 6th, Trump, and the attack on the Pelosi family. This underlines the Democrats' biggest problem. They don't understand what really concerns Americans. With me right now, someone who does, Congressman Dan Crenshaw of Texas, uh, the author of, a former Navy SEAL, of course, author of Fame, Blame, and the Raft of Shame. Congressman, welcome back. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me. Uh, The state of the game in Texas, I think the last time I talked, I thought it was a very close race. It seems as though Governor Abbott is pulling away by nine over Beto O'Rourke, the the uh, the celebrity can- the, the celebrity perennial candidate, is that the sense you get on the ground? 
Yeah, yeah, I, I think it is. I think across the board, we're we're seeing even uh, close races tighten. You know, one of one of the things we're focused on is local races here in the Houston area, uh, because look, Houston actually competes with Chicago for for number one in homicides this year. And um, look, that, that that blame can be squarely paced, placed on Democrats when they took over in 2018. Uh, that's when the trend started. You know, judges they they let these criminals out on the street. There's hundreds of criminals who committed murder, charged with murder, but let back out on the streets and then reoffended. So you know, this isn't rocket science. Um, this, this kind of policy is easy to fix, but we need the right people in there to fix it. And so there, I, we're, we're sensing good things on the ground. We're seeing a lot of Republicans come out uh, in early voting, uh, more so than Democrats. And we haven't had that kind of year for, for quite a while. So we're cautiously optimistic, but we're still doing everything we can to get the vote out. It's all about voter turnout. If you don't come out to vote, it definitely won't count. Um, and in a lot of these close races, we're relying on a Republican-based voters to actually to actually get up that day and go do it. And, Congressman, there's really no excuse anymore. In every state, the early voting, it makes it really easy. It's not, There's some downsides to having election season instead of election day. One of the good things is a place like now, don't tell me you're busy on Tuesday. you got some time. Do some research. Right. I want you to hear the message against you and your party, and it's done by three presidents. Cut seven. American democracy is under attack because the defeated former president of the United States refuses to accept the results of the 2020 election. We, the people, must decide whether the rule of law will prevail, whether we will allow the dark forces to thirst, that thirst for power, put ahead of the principles that we've long guided us. These days, it seems like just about every Republican politician seems obsessed with only two things. They want to own the libs, and the other thing they really want to do is get Donald Trump's approval. They're not interested in solving immigration. They're not interested in solving crime. Because that way you may not notice that they've got no answers of their own. The Republicans are pretty simple, actually. They're and pretty straightforward. They say, I want you to be very miserable. And I want you to be very angry. And I vote, I want you to vote for us, and we'll make it worse, but we'll blame them. I mean is that going to work? You want to own the liberals? Well, I've never even heard anybody say that. No, politicians don't say it. There's so much to respond to in, in all of those in all those comments. I should have taken notes as I was listening to that. Um, but it was interesting what Clinton said. It sounded like Bill Clinton to me. And um, you know how he said, "We want you to be miserable and angry." But that, but but again, you know, we could say the same thing about the left. Look, I don't like it when fringe elements of the right just try to keep people angry and 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 and, gre- and be grieved. But you know where they got that from? The left, because that's the whole point, right? Make you believe that you're in crisis. See, this, this is a playbook that the left always plays by. Make you believe that you're in some sort of crisis. Make you believe that one out of five children are starving to death in America. Make you believe that a climate crisis is about to kill everybody, and then say, look, the only way to save you after we've scared you to death is to is to implement more taxes and more government programs because we're the only ones who can possibly save you. And of course, that makes things worse. Um, and there's basic basic economic reasons for why for why that's true. Whether it's just the regulatory strangulation, overtaxation, which just re- reduces overall investment, um, all of the above. They, they also have this sort of they, they love to use the words of compassion, like we're the ones who care about you. But that but that compassion 
results in letting criminals out on the streets to reoffend and, and terrorize the communities that they that they seem to that they say they care about, especially the lower income communities, communities of color. That compassion leads to nearly a thousand migrant deaths on the border. Uh, that you know that compassion leads to increased crime and just a, 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 an unsustainable problem on our border. That compassion leads to nearly eighty thousand Americans dead from fentanyl overdose because the Democrats just don't seem to care that the Mexican drug cartels south of our border uh, control our border, facilitate the immigration crisis, and lace our street drugs with deadly fentanyl. So, so, so I mean, the Congressman, think, Congressman Dan, think about what you just said. This is the biggest story in America. We've left our whole back door open from drugs to illegals to terrorists. A hundred been caught already this year. And this president won't address it, said I inherited a broken uh, uh, border and I'm trying to fix it when he's not and he isn't. This is one of the craziest things that I've ever covered since I've been in Fox for 25 years. And you live in Texas so what are you thinking about this? What, what's going to change if you guys get the House and Senate? Well, we still won't have a new president. Um, I, you know, we've got we to be honest about what our powers are. But what we can do is, is drag these uh, administration officials in front of our committee and make them answer a lot of our questions that, that frankly, we don't have questions uh, that we don't have answers to, such as how many are actually getting across? How many are staying? What exactly is your plan to to disincentivize this? How are you going to keep the, How are you going to reimplement the Remain in Mexico policy? Um, when we have these must-pass bills like the budget bill, that that's when the real fight begins. Okay, because look, we have. I, I heard Obama say, "Oh, they've got no plan to fix it." I, I, I literally just introduced legislation a few weeks ago, very detailed legislation that would completely revamp our asylum process and make sure that it is fixed. Now we absolutely know how to fix this. Um, the, the fact, a lot of these problems are not that complicated. Uh, we know how to fix our energy and industry. We know how to re- – if they care about climate change so much, I know how to reduce carbon emissions globally too, way better than they can. You just give everybody natural gas. You export our natural gas. You displace foreign coal. Boom. Problem solved. It will have a bigger effect than any other stupid Green New Deal that they want to do. We have solutions for literally everything, that, all of the problems that they have caused. Um, but what can we do on the border? Look, we have, we're, we're going to have to negotiate on those on those uh, must-pass bills. And I think the Remain in Mexico policy will probably be one of our priorities because it's simple. It's working okay, for Venezuela. It's working for the it, Venezuelans, right? right? It, it, it is working, yeah. So you're seeing huge camps on the Mexican side instead of our side. And, and, and so this will eventually – eventually the word gets out, and that disincentivizes people from even coming in the first place. Yeah, to all countries. So, look, it, there's a lot more solutions than just that. But it's important to keep political messaging simple. It's important to keep our goals simple. Uh, We know the Remain in Mexico policy works to an extent. There's more that needs to be done, but we don't have the presidency. So I think that will be a big priority and is holding these people accountable. It's going to be a lot about messaging because, look, you've got to win over the culture. Now, we are winning over the culture. That's why there's going to be a red wave. And then you win the politics, and so that means elections. Then you've got to sustain those majorities in elections. And then you can implement the policy. So, you know, people have to understand that just generally as a, as, a, as a rule of civics, that those are the steps that have to take place. And there's a lot of factors to each of those steps, but that's how we're going to play it. Uh, Congressman Dan Crenshaw, our guest. Uh, Dan, a couple of things. I see so much talent uh, out there that was surprising. I didn't know who Tiffany Smiley was, but please tell me what, who, how you can possibly say that she doesn't have talent, charisma, and knowledge. Yeah. 
I mean, you look at Tudor Dixon. She comes out of nowhere, and she has Governor Whitmer on the ropes within one or two points. You see Carrie Lake. I know she's a broadcaster, but the, with her depth of knowledge and certainty of thought and, and went from double digits down to actually earning her way, taking on hostile press all the way up I mean, uh, to the point where she's expected to win and maybe bring Blake Masters with her. When you look around at the talent, even though you're a Republican— and I look at Don Balduck, the general. I don't know if you knew him when you were in the military, but this guy is now in a dead heat with Maggie Hassan without Mitch McConnell's money and we're not getting Donald Trump's endorsement until Monday. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, and, you know, I, I, in every single one of these cases, I'm not sure I have much to add to what you had to just say, but the fact that a lot of these states are in play um, is incredible, uh, especially Washington. You know, and, and we're looking at Nevada with Adam Laxalt and saying, yeah, I think we pretty much got that one in the bag. Uh, don't forget Colorado. Uh, Colorado, we got Joe Day running within a point also. That's Colorado. So, you know, we're, we're, we're doing really well. It, it looks like our, our candidates have really come into the realm. They're understanding where they're running, uh, what kind of state they're running in, and, and it is different wherever you're running. And, and as a party, we have to allow them to message appropriately so that they can win. Um, you know, this is a mistake sometimes we make where, you know, they, they, they fall out of line just ever so slightly, and then we, and we, 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 we write them off forever. But now, look, you got to let them represent their state. That's the whole point. And a lot of these candidates are doing a fantastic job. So uh, this is – and you try to understand what I mean here, and you don't have to agree, obviously – but I want the Republicans to have success in the blue states first and foremost, because for Democrats, I'd like to see somewhat of a normal party. You know, they're not even addressing yeah. the issues. Instead of saying, I don't agree with the way they're handling the major issues, they're not even addressing the issues of crime, not even addressing the issues of inflation, not even addressing the issues of spending, of course, on the border. And Whatever you want to say about Barack Obama, we knew health care was something that needed to be tackled. We just didn't like Obamacare. For the most part, the American people didn't. We're just getting used to it and don't want to take it away. But we never doubted that health care was an issue in America. This president right. is doing things that is not on anybody's top 20 list. I think climate change is 19 on the list. Right. And now even abortion has dropped barely in the top 10. I've never seen anything like it, so I would just love to see the Joe Manchin's, Christian Cinemas of the world emerge and just say, hey, do you mind if I'm a Democrat but somewhat reasonable? Do you understand my point? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, it's a great point um, because, look, Americans would – well, obviously the Republican Party being a, being a total partisan, you benefit from a very radical Democratic Party. The, the, the Democrat Party of the 90s would, would give us a run for our money these days, um, but that's just not the current Democrat Party. But – if it, you know, but that's that's from the partisan outlook. From what you're saying is totally correct. It, from the American outlook, the American people want parties that are sensible, that disagree on how to solve problems, but at least agree mostly on what the problem is. But these people don't like. They don't think there's a border crisis. They actually don't think it's a problem. All right. It, it, they, they they think. I mean, you pull a lot of a lot of you know more more staunch Democrats. They 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 still think January six is our biggest problem. And, and I'm like, I don't look, look I, I am not a January 6th apologist by any stretch of the imagination. I'm very angry about what happened there. But that is not our, that is not a current problem. It is not, it is not worth focusing on uh, now or, or, or forever. There is no threat to our democracy here. 
You know, it's just it is just so infuriating how they how they fail to acknowledge what normal Americans are caring about. And it's like you said, they're focused on climate change. They're focused on January 6th. Um, they're and, and, and whatever other weird transgender whim that they're on at the moment. <laughs> and um, and it's, it's it infuriates regular Americans and they're done with it. Uh, it's all in his column. Uh, Dan Crenshaw taking action in Texas, puts together some great ads along the way. Dan, if you guys get the House majority, will you, are you in line to be a committee chair? Well, there's no lines, but I'm running for it. So I am, um, I am running for Homeland Security chairman. Uh, I, I, I think it's important that a, that a, that a Texan takes that position. Uh, I've got the experience when it comes to targeting bad guys. I'll tell you what, we got some bad guys. Uh, they run these cartels. They run the Jalisco cartel. They run the Sinaloa cartel. And nobody's talking about these guys the way we should be talking about them, which is, look, these are terrorist entities that are poisoning our kids. The number one cause of death right now uh, for young adults is fentanyl. And it is coming directly from especially these two cartels. And, it, and then the basic components come from China. Uh, the Department of Homeland Security oversees the, the Coast Guard, ICE, Border Patrol, um, customs, obviously, all of these entities, we need to have a joint task force along with DHS, the military, the intelligence community that takes a very serious look at this. Um, and, and that's that's exactly what my goals are. Congressman Dan Crenshaw, his column, uh, he's got his podcast out there and he's got his column of the Wall Street Journal today. Midterms are a time for choosing for Republicans. Appreciate it. Uh, thanks so much, Dan. Great to be with you, Brian. Thanks for having me. You got it. In 10 minutes, Lee Zeldin joins us. Next is you. one 408 Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. It goes to my fundamental grievance with my damn party. We're getting crushed on narrative. We're going to have to do better in terms of getting on the offense and stopping on the damn defense. See, Gavin Newsom's totally missing it. Uh, you know, taking on his party is kind of a sexy thing to do. Okay, fine. But he's missing the point. It's not a matter of the narrative. It's actually doing something. That's what he is. That really is what he is, a show horse. He wants to show up and act like a governor, act like a mayor, uh, be aspirational. But he doesn't do anything. In fact, it, it does. But the fact that he doesn't do anything means he's doing negative because the homeless situation, the exit situation, and one of the most attractive states in the union, he's responsible for that, which is makes him, he should disqualify him for running for president. I just don't know who else is going to do it because he can speak. But taking on his party, to say taking on his party on the narrative misses the point. Dan Crenshaw, our guest I just had on, is just the opposite. He wants to do things of substance to the point where it might even cost him politically. He wants to get stuff done. He doesn't want to get into the rhetoric and the and the red meat situations, and that takes off a lot of people in his party. And just inaccurately, he's as conservative as it comes, and he's already sacrificed for his country. And Gavin Newsom's just the opposite. Give him gel, give him a suit, we'll get him a workout. But I want to, I'd rather be effective. I'd rather do the part, do the job, than look the part. He only looks the part. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I don't know why the Democrats, and this is nationwide, I don't know why they can't be more aggressive addressing the issue of crime. You can be a progressive 
But you still understand that job one is public safety. And the truth is some people have to be put in jail to keep society safe. I know it sounds harsh Mm -hmm. and Democrats don't like to say it, but it's the truth. And until we start addressing crime aggressively and bluntly, uh, we're going to see this issue. (laughs) Former Governor Andrew Cuomo talking about a need to crack down on crime and mention it on the stump. I'm going to let Congressman Lee Zeldin, who thought he was going to be taking on Andrew Cuomo as the Republican nominee to be the next governor of New York, but scandal stopped it. Congressman, I want to get, thanks so much for joining us. I want to get your take on the advice that Andrew Cuomo is offering Democrats on John Castamatidi's podcast. Well, listen, it's, I mean, it's something that Kathy Hochul should be willing to say herself. This is the issue from last week's debate where we go question after question after question about crime. And I point out that you still haven't spoken about the whole locking up the bad guy aspect of fighting crime. And she could have taken that as a hint, a suggestion, and then said what people are waiting to hear where she recognizes that this is a, a real problem. Here's our, her, these are her solutions to fix it. And she's committed with a zero to- tolerance policy to take back our streets and to lock up bad guys. Instead, she said she doesn't understand why this is so important to me. And then she tries to clean it up by going on MSNBC with Al Sharpton over the weekend, and she's saying that this is a conspiracy and that we're data deniers. Now, for a woman who's in her young 40s this morning on the west side of Manhattan who ended up getting choked, assaulted, and raped while on a a jog, you don't want to be lectured that that we are data deniers. And by the way, you want to take it one step further and actually look at the data? If you look at the data on, on rapes, on grand larceny, on auto theft, on assault, felony assaults, what's going on right now at our subway stations. Some of these numbers are going up 30, 40 plus percent year over year. So that's actually what the data is telling us. And these data, these data, these stats, these numbers for me, these are victims. And Kathy Hochul is just refusing to say what needs to be said. And that is that the bad people need to be locked up for breaking laws and hurting people. And We have prosecutors who aren't doing their job, and she should be cracking down on that, too. So the cover of the New York Post two days ago and and today was about uh, Keisha, who was murdered by her her husband. Uh, She was beat up, caught on camera. They arrested the husband. They let him out in 24 hours. And she said, if they let him out, he will kill me. He said it already. And sure enough, he executed her. And the mom said, Governor Hochul, it's your fault. Do you agree? This is because of Kathy Hochul's refusal to overhaul cashless bail, period. If she had done what needed to be done, instead of Adam Benefield being released on that Tuesday after being charged with a slew of domestic violence offenses, he would have been detained. So on Wednesday, after getting released without any cash bail, without any bail set, being released back on the street despite Kiera's warning, she was – telling everyone who would listen, he's going to murder me. The next day, within 24 hours, he murders her in front of the three kids. She's wearing a bulletproof vest when it happened. If Kathy Hochul was actually willing to do what, not just Republicans, but Eric Adams, Bob Duffy is the former lieutenant governor, Democrat under uh, Andrew Cuomo. He's up in the Rochester area. They've been dealing with rising crime, 68 murders so far this year there. 
if she had done what needs to get done, needed to get done about giving judges discretion away dangerousness, and the judge kept that person detained, there is a 1,000% chance that Kiera Hudson would have been able to survive her Wednesday without being executed. And by the way, we didn't even bring up that Andrew Cuomo presided over all this no-cash bail, that he was directly responsible and could have stopped it, and that Mayor Adams went up to Albany one of his first days and said, listen, you got to start reining in this no-cash bail, and we got to stop having to process people within 24 hours. It's too quick for the investigators. Nobody can keep up with this pace. We're not going to have anybody stay in jail. And they laughed at him in Albany. So, and these are Democrats laughing at a Democratic mayor uh, trying to fix things that were broken by one of the worst mayors in American history in de Blasio. So it's kind of rich for Cuomo to say, you know, uh, identify with people who are victims or possible victims of crime or fear of becoming one because he did nothing. He presided over the worst. Yeah, Castle Spell shouldn't have been enacted in the first place. And they started to make some changes the following year, but they clearly didn't do enough. And then Kathy Hochul refused to put it into her budget proposal. It wasn't until the middle of March this past week when on Monday a bad poll came out that showed me gaining on her. On Wednesday, she shows up at Madison Square Garden the first to dr- the, uh, drop the first puck at the, the Rangers game and got booed and roasted out of the arena. And then on Thursday, it was being reported that Cuomo was thinking about running again. And then she decides that, okay, maybe we need to make some tweaks. She ends up getting rolled and settled for absolutely nothing. And here we are without the changes that needed to be made. So you look at this whole timeline going back to 2019 – and, and Kathy Hochul was out there bragging about how great this new Castle's bail proposal was. Uh, this whole thing should have just been repealed. And judges should have been given j- discretion to weigh dangerousness. Uh, and again, as you pointed out, Eric Adams comes into office. He says that this needs to get done. And he's not only getting stonewalled. Rosie o- I'll give you one example. Rosie O'Donnell's brother, Danny O'Donnell, is a, a Democrat assemblyman in Manhattan. And for sake of the story, it's important to point out he is a white liberal Manhattan uh, Democrat assemblyman. And when Eric Adams said that judges should have discretion away dangerousness, Danny O'Donnell responded by saying that discretion is code for black. So think about that. The white Manhattan liberal assembly Democrat went after the black mayor, suggesting that the reason why Adams is calling for judges to have discretion to weigh dangerousness is that Eric Adams is a racist. I mean, they don't just stonewall the agenda. I mean, they personally will attack you. And you got to be ready for that if you get the job. Schwarzenegger went in there too hard as a conservative, and he got spanked. Uh, and he ended up becoming like a liberal governor to the point where Republicans have no shot in that state. But I'm sure we'll get, we could go over that uh, when you get there. And listen, I'll be honest. I, I hope you get there as a New Yorker more than anything else. And if there was a Republican acting like Hochul and you were a Democrat, I'd be pulling for you because I know what you stand for. It has nothing to do with party. I want somebody that's going to be effective and put the people first. I fear what Governor Hochul is going to be like when she'll have to worry about re-election. If you think about it, the way she locked everybody down and it extended this pandemic uh, and how many people got fired because she wouldn't reverse what this uh, mayor did. Do you think you could work with Mayor Adams? We ser- Absolutely. We, we served together in the state Senate. Uh, we've stayed in touch since. We've always gotten along. I want to do my part to write a story in 2023 about how well a Governor Zeldin is working with a Mayor Adams to move the city forward. We will disagree on stuff. He'll say things that, that I disagree with. I'll say things that he disagrees with. There'll be policy positions where we're not on the same page. That's okay. This is America. 
Uh, but what we need to do is to work together to make sure we are taking back our streets and our subways. We need to hire more law enforcement. We need to remove rogue district attorneys like Alvin Bragg, who refuse to enforce the law. We shouldn't be enacting more pro-criminal laws, and we should be rolling back a bunch of the pro-criminal laws that have been passed, like Cashless Bail, the HALT Act, Raise the Age, Less is More, the discovery law changes. So what I'm going to do on day one, right after my first action, which is telling the Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg that he's being removed for his refusal to enforce the law, is that I'm going to declare a crime emergency in this state, and I'm going to Mm -hmm. suspend the laws I just mentioned, including cashless bail, to force the state legislature to come to the table on a permanent fix. Congressman Lee Zeldin, our guest, believe it or not, Hillary Clinton is rallying to Governor Hochul's side, along with the vice president. And here's a little of what she's saying about Republicans in crime. I want to say one word about uh, this uh, emphasis on crime that we've seen in every ad that I've run across from the Republicans. I find it ironic and frankly disturbing uh, that when Paul Pelosi is... uh, attacked by an intruder in his own home with a hammer, uh, the Republicans go silent about that crime. You know, they're not concerned about voter safety. They're, they just want to keep voters scared. Your reaction? We just want to secure our streets. We want to support our men and women in law enforcement. We need DAs to do their job. They, these people want to expand cashless bail. Yeah, and Kamala Harris, when she's showing up today with Hillary Clinton to rally with Kathy Hochul, I'm sure you know Kamala Harris isn't going to be talking about her efforts to raise funds to bail out people involved in the, the riots back in 2020. By the way, it's part of the Biden-Harris national agenda to enact cashless bail across the entire country. So we are going to focus on this issue, and we're sick and tired of of, of witnessing with our own eyes the rising crime in, in on New York City streets inside of New York City subways, and it's also in other parts of the state. You're bringing up what happened with Kiara Hudson in the Buffalo area. We had the Marist dad shows up at Parents Weekend, an accountant from Long Island, gets shot by, by someone while just getting a cup of coffee and checking out of a hotel. A few weekends back, I had a gang-related drive-by shooting on my front yard. We are going to talk about this. We are not going to just look away. This happened in the 80s where elected officials in New York City told us it's all perception. There's nothing to see here. Move along. And it wasn't until 1993 where New Yorkers of all stripes, Republicans, Democrats and independents were so fed up. They said enough. As New Yorkers, they all united. Rudy Giuliani came in as the mayor and they cleaned up the streets. What's going to fix this is not being lectured by Hillary Clinton and Kathy Hochul and whomever else. There's nothing to see here. It's just a perception. Look away. What's actually going to solve this is being tough on crime to make sure that this is a law and order city and state again and to make sure that our law enforcement is back again. So, uh, Lee, just real quick, Joe Borelli tweeted this out. Uh, Joe Borelli, a a local uh, official here, Republican, Uh, early voting compared to 2018 is low. Uh, so far in New York, it seems to be off just about everywhere on if the enthusiasm is greater for Republicans than Democrats. And this is a three to one Democrat state. How do you make sense of that? Uh, we're seeing it uh, with the early voting numbers. 
uh, Joe Borelli is actually a, uh, a councilman on Staten Island where the early voting numbers have shown more Republicans than Democrats from the, the last report that I saw. Uh, we're, we're seeing a lower turnout for early voting in New York City compared to uh, the early voting returns outside of New York City. When Pataki won in 1994, there was not just an enthusiasm gap amongst the people who plan on voting Republican versus the people who plan on voting Democrat. There was also a geographic enthusiasm gap, and we're seeing uh, that play out here again as well. Uh, there's also a lot of crossover support that we're getting from inside of the city. So just because you see a Democrat voting, uh, that should not be assumed that that is a Democrat vote for Kathy Hochul. Uh, there are a whole lot of Democrats who have decided in some communities it's basically like a block vote the entire community has had enough uh, there are a lot of people they're, they're lifelong democrats they've always mm -hmm. voted democrat but they're saying this year they're voting for us because they just they've had enough and you wake up to the story of what happened with this jogger this morning on the west side of manhattan being choked assaulted and raped and it's just yet another reminder and i'm sure over the rest of the day there will be more reminders why this is this is it. This is enough. We don't want to be lectured to. It's time to actually tackle it. Uh, and I, so I think even when you look at the in-person uh, early voting numbers inside of the city, even when a Democrat shows up, shouldn't just chalk that up and say, oh, well, that right. must be a vote for Kathy Hochul. It's not how, the case. How many Democrats, uh, local officials, have come to your side? I think the number is five or six have come There's out. a lot, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there's uh, – a bunch of current and former Democrat elected officials who have supported us, Bob Holden, a New York City councilman uh, in Brooklyn, State Senator Ruben Diaz, he was a city councilman, and Dove Hyken was a state assemblyman, and Steve Kaufman was a state assemblyman and city councilman. The list goes on. There's actually a bunch of others, and these are, these are lifelong Democrats. They're still Democrats. And they go with you. And, Congressman, we, we know that Glenn Youngkin uh, would not be— campaigning with you if you weren't close. We know that Ron DeSantis is a friend of yours, but would not be coming to a parking lot in the middle of Long Island on Saturday night, uh, getting ten to 12,000 people there in 24 hours if he wasn't, if you weren't close. He wouldn't have appeared with Sean Hannity's show on television if you weren't close. The Trafalgar poll says you're in a dead heat. Others say you're about five or six away. Can you share with our audience how close you think you are? I, I would say that post-debate... Uh, within the next few days was that point where we started to pass her. Uh, I, you know, th this race, I, I think it's important for people to operate under the mentality of always campaign like you're behind. Uh, this race is extremely close. Uh, but it, as long as we all do what we need to do for the next five days to get our vote out, it's over. But what I said was, as long as we need everybody to work for this, no one should be jumping on some board trying to ride in a wave there is no wave to ride in. There is a wave to help the rest of us create by getting behind the board, not on top of it, and helping us paddle until the polls close on election night. So sign up as a poll worker. You know, if you're an attorney out there and you can volunteer your time, that's great too. Uh, we need people to sign up to help, uh, and also don't even assume that everybody in your life is actually showing up to vote. Because there's a whole lot of people out there, they'll go through a long day on election day. They'll start early, it's out, just vote after work, and then at the end of the day, they're like, "Well, just one vote, it doesn't matter." No, every 
single vote matters, and there are millions of other New Yorkers relying on you, that person, that procrastinator, right. to make sure you actually get your butts and falls. Well, it's no, your responsibility. Well, no one's out hustling you, outworking you, and that says a lot about how much it means to you. Congressman Lee Zeldin, thanks so much for your loyalty to the show. Uh, good luck closing it out. Thanks, Brian. You got it. Congressman Lee Zeldin takes a moment off the trail to, to share his thoughts about maybe pulling off the biggest upset this election season, bar none. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Your call's next. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He is not going to the places that you're seeing former President Obama go to. It's because of that approval rating. And a lot of people are not, you know, they don't want to be seen with the president, quite frankly. And they don't want to even answer the question about whether they should be um, running with him or having having him on the campaign trail or if they'll support him come 2020. Yeah, and that is uh, coming from CNN, their uh, new morning show, uh, going against the president. It doesn't take a lot now to do that. Uh, I think a lot of people having trouble understanding what he was doing for two years, why he thought these programs were going to be popular, and why isn't he doing anything to answer what matters most in this country? He's leaving his party in a bad position. Kathy, listen on WSBA in Pennsylvania. Kathy. Uh, hi. Hi, Brian. Yes, thanks for taking my call. Well, very quickly, yes, I'm from Pennsylvania, but I have a comment about Barack Obama talking about Kerry Lake and being just another pretty face and not understanding the people and so forth and so forth. Well, obviously, they have not done their homework because she has a beautiful ad campaign explaining that she grew up very poor, didn't even have a street address. They had to chop wood. They had no food. So she does understand the people. Big family. Yeah, big family. Plus, Another note to add quickly to all those listening to Pennsylvania, get out and vote Republican, save our state, do the right thing. Thank you. Wow. Uh, Kathy, run into the phone to help out. Hey, by the way, speaking of Pennsylvania, I'm going to be in Scranton Saturday at 1 o'clock. Books a million. Please be there. Make reservations at BrianKillMe.com. And don't forget, I'm going to be on stage in Tulsa, Oklahoma, November 13th on the 12th in Brandon, Mississippi. Uh, it's going to be a red, white, and blue night like no other, and a chance to interact with you. And don't forget, December 2nd, Newark, New Jersey. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.